Hello and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where each week we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. The Country Land and Business Association are the only organisation dedicated to protecting and defending the rights of landowners and rural businesses. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In this episode, we'll take you through some of the challenges of rural crime. CLA Rural Advisor Libby Bateman is joined by the head of the National Wildlife Crime Unit, Kevin Kelly, Superintendent Andy Huddleston, who leads on machinery theft for the National Police Chiefs Council, and Rebecca Chapman from the Northeast Business Resilience Centre. We'll discuss the threats and challenges of cybercrime and how you can better protect yourself, your family, your staff, and your business against criminals trying to exploit you for their own own personal gain. Well, welcome Libby, Andy, Kevin and Rebecca. I thought we'd start with some introductions and Libby, if I can turn to you to begin with, tell us a bit about your background and your role with the CLA. Hi there, Alid. Uh, I'm Libby Bateman. I'm a rural advisor with the CLA in the North Office. I've been with the team here for about six years and I lead on the rural crime across, across the Northern region, but I also pick up some of the national portfolios as well. So I work with the National Rural Crime Unit and and with Kev um, in the Wildlife Crime Unit. And we pick up um, issues from members. So it can be poaching, it can be machinery theft, organised crime, and right down to things which are really so antisocial behaviour. Thank you, Libby. And uh, over to you, Andy. Good afternoon, Alad. Um, yes, I'm Andy Huddleston. I'm a senior officer with Northumbria Police. And as well as being the head of Neighbourhood and 24-7 Policing for Northumberland, I'm also the National Police Chiefs Council Lead for the Agricultural Machinery Theft. So for the last three years, I've been working with manufacturers, the farming industry, NFU, NFU Mutual, and um, looking at ways in which we can improve um, security on machinery, but also make um, farms safer places and uh, more secure. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Andy. Uh, Kevin, uh, over to your introduction. Hello, I'm Kevin Kelly, Chief Inspector. I'm the head of the National Wildlife Crime Unit. I've been a police officer for 18 years and for all of that 18 years, I've been a wildlife crime officer too. Uh, I've done it at the ranks of uh, constable, sergeant, inspector, and now as chief inspector. And I'm the longest serving wildlife crime officer from North Yorkshire Police. I'm currently, uh, as from January uh, 2021, the head of the National Wildlife Crime Unit and we're a team with UK-wide coverage, and we assist police in UK, and we lead the fight against wildlife crime internationally also. Thank you very much there, Kevin. And finally, over to you, Rebecca. Hello, Alan. Thanks for having me today. Uh, I'm Rebecca Chapman. I'm a superintendent with South Yorkshire Police. Uh, I've been a police officer for 28 years. Uh, I've done many roles in the police, but since November 2018, I've been seconded as the CEO of the Northeast Business Resilience Centre, so this is a not-for-profit home office funded company led by the police uh, and it's, it's a unique nexus between academia, 
law enforcement and big business to help SMEs against cybercrime and prepare themselves for any attacks. Well, thank you very much to all all of our guests for their introductions. Uh, great start to the podcast and it's great to have quite a bit of expertise uh, on today's panel talking about rural crime. But Libby, if I can just come back to you quickly, um, can you give us an overview on rural crime and, and what are the main problems, the key issues facing land and business owners from your experience? Rural crime is really any criminal activity in rural areas. Um, so it, it can be, um, as I say, it can be very serious organised crime. It can be environment crime, it can be waste crime. Um, you know, flighted can falls under this as well. But I think that the key problems that, that uh, people face are things like machinery theft. Um, so that could be that could be tractors, it could be quad bikes or, or even tools and stuff like that. And and wildlife crime. Uh, we get we hear a lot from members worried about persecution of things like brown hares um, through 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 hair coursing activity. And, and we've got coming in now, we've got this new threat, um, this known as cybercrime which uh, Rebecca will talk through a lot a lot more about later but it's it, you know this is something that we don't we don't see and we don't think about really enough um but we uh, we are still very very vulnerable to people wanting to exploit us through through the internet yeah and, and let's start with that cybercrime is something we're increasingly hearing more and more about and Rebecca if I can bring you in you know what's the biggest risk uh, for landowners in terms of cyber attacks what's what's potentially the risks that, that are out there okay so it's the same really for any other business it's the loss of customers and the continuity of business so with, I think many more landowners relying on automated and digital systems and conducting more business online, especially since the pandemic uh, with people working from home, it leaves everyone much more open to cyber attack. So, for, for example, we know in the last uh, in the last year, because of uh, the lockdown, four out of six businesses have suffered some form of cyber attack with a loss of about £1 billion to the UK. Is the loss typically financial or can it be data loss as well? Is, is, is that a, a quite an impact on some businesses? Yeah, it's, it's data loss. So what people a lot of people don't realise is, is if you lose your data and you fail to lock it down correctly, then the information commissioner can actually fine you. So yes, there's, there's a loss of business, there's a loss of reputation, uh, and there's also the loss of data, which you might never get back if you haven't got it backed up properly. And does that affect, so thinking of farmers in particular, does it affect farms of all different shapes and sizes? You know, there'll be some large rural businesses who will be handling a lot of data and clearly possibly are a greater, um, at greater risk of cyber attacks. Or does this affect anybody? I think it affects anybody. I mean, I think um, hostile state actors will always go for you know, big companies. So you've you've had the likes of WannaCry and SolarWinds in, in recent days. I think in the last weeks, uh, a big pipeline's been shut down in the USA. Um, so, so there will always be people that will attack big business, but there are also bots now. So what they do is they just set off a program running and it's a bit like knocking on somebody's door. So if you go to a neighbourhood and, you, and you, you knock on so many doors, you'll find one that's open. Uh, and that what they'll do is they'll go through the one that's open and that could be a tiny business uh, or it could be a big business. So there's no differentiation between the two, really. And who are the people uh, c- committing these cyber crimes? Who are they? So I think there's a variety of people. So, um, you know, there are people that do it kind of for fun, uh, that, are, that are, you know, hackers within the UK. Uh, most of the, the hacking that we tend to get is from foreign states, which means it's incredibly difficult to then track them down, prosecute them, take them to court. 
Um, so what we try and do, obviously, is prevention's better than cure. And we try and give everybody the tools in which they can protect themselves to stop it happening from, you know, happening to them in the first place. And what are those tools? What could help businesses to remain resilient? Okay, so there are several uh, national guides, which if implemented, can prevent 80 to 90% of attacks. So there's a small business guide. There's a specific guidance for farmers and educational institutions, all of it, which address what's on the OWASP top 10. So this is a, a top 10 um, written by open source professionals every year, which pull out the biggest threats to be addressed. So these can all be found on the National Cybersecurity website. Or if you, you know, join our website, the NEBRC Centre, um, then it's got all the, the guidance on there that you could possibly wish for. And as a member of the centre, we can demystify that guidance for you and it can help, help talk you through it. And that was going to be my next question, because some of the terminology around cybercrime can be quite alien to people. So, so you within the centre and your colleagues can help people understand those terms and understand what, you know, the different types of cybercrime that exist. Yeah, so so a bit like a thesaurus of line of duty uh, acronyms. <laughs> uh, yeah, cybercrime is exactly the same. Uh, and it's easy to fall into the fact that you, you think everybody understands it. Uh, what we understand, because we're we're police officers, and not you know not all of us came from that kind of background, is that not everyone has a basic knowledge of cybersecurity, and and even those companies sometimes who feel they have like an IT professional looking after their interests, they don't realise that IT isn't the same as cybersecurity. So that's where the centre comes in. So what we do is we make the implementation of these guides really easy for SMEs. So, for example, we just did a contract in Leeds. And what you'll get is you'll get a company phoning me and their growth managers told, told them to phone me. And we'll say to them, you know, what, what's your understanding of cybersecurity? And they go, I have no idea what you're talking about. So we get, you know, I don't even have to switch my computer on. I don't know what a network is, what's an IP address. You know, so we can talk them through all of that. And we take them through like a health check. So we do the health check for them and then we give them like really bespoke advice that they can go away and use quite easily. And it kind of just demystifies um, how hard it is, because actually the steps in the small business guide are really quite, quite straightforward. You know, things from make sure your data is backed up so that you have somewhere to go to to retrieve it from. Should you be, you know, subject to ransomware? Um, Make sure that your password is not one of the top 100 passwords, such as, qwerty123 or password or 12345 or even things like your pet's name or your mother's maiden name all of which may have appeared on like a facebook quiz that you've done which is a sort of you know shopping shopping cart for hackers really is facebook so there's all that kind of things and we can tell you where the gaps are and then we can refer you to um, a list of trusted companies to fix any problems uh, and you can start to achieve accreditation through them. And that accreditation then gives you access to things like public sector contracts, cheaper insurance uh, and all that kind of good stuff. And, and we also have lots of online guides and videos for our members that you can use as staff training. And of course, as a part of your work, you're continually monitoring cybercrime and, and, and gathering data of your own in terms of the trends that existed. What is your risk register saying now about cybercrime and fraud? So um, the NCSC stopped 700,000 scams in the last year uh, with over a million companies seeking advice from the NCSC, which is the National Cybersecurity Centre. Uh, but it's usually at corporate level. So you find that big companies, um, you know, don't always have this on their agenda, standing agenda item, or it's listed on a risk register. 
And yet it's probably one of the largest risks that most businesses face. So, you know, I would always liken it. You wouldn't go out and leave your front door open. So why would you leave your virtual door open and fail to train your staff who are effectively your best firewall? Um, you know, so we, we can help train and exercise and plan for a cyber attack and mitigate risks. But also um, the police now have a thing called the police cyber alarm. So any business can have this uh, and it can be installed. And it, it basically sits like CCTV on the outside of your system. And it will look at the traffic that's coming to and fro. And if it spots any attacks or any state actors or anybody that we already have on a list, it fires that intelligence through to the police. But it also alerts the company to the fact that they have been, you know, they're about to be suffering an attack. Uh, so they can put appropriate measures in place. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Rebecca. That's some really sound advice. And we'll be back to you just before the end of the podcast with, with, with some more uh, pieces of advice to, to our listeners. But but before then, we want to, to pick up on wildlife crime. And we've got Chief Inspector Kevin Kelly with us. Uh, Ke- Kevin, what, what is wildlife crime? How would you explain it and describe it to somebody? Well, there's no uh, actual definition, Alan, but uh, for ease of explanation, it, uh, we, we uh, capture it as the abuse, um, harm caused to, exploitation, killing or the illegal trade of protected wild animals. And that can be done for fun, for illegal sport or for financial exploitation. And what are the main issues that you come across and how prevalent would you say is wildlife crime within the UK at the moment? So the main issues uh, are defined uh, within UK policing and we support those through priority delivery groups and uh, the seven of those groups that UK policing service uh, and their badges, bats, uh, CITES, so that's the illegal trade in wildlife crime, both in and outside of the UK, freshwater pearl mussels, raptor, which is our birds of prey, uh, and the two main ones that we're talking about today, cyber-enabled wildlife crime, uh, and of course poaching, uh, which is very unique because it has such a big demand around day poaching, night poaching, deer, fish, and of course, hair coursing, which is a whole entity of demand on UK policing. And what is happening right now to try and tackle the problems? You know, how, how, how do you try and mitigate some of these crimes? Uh, so we are seeing a, a rise in this crime and we're looking through our unit to influence uh, the front line of policing through assisting the police forces. And uh, we have specialists from the National Wildlife Crime Unit that sit within the priority delivery groups. And we also... Uh, influence and support national policing operations for each of those priority areas and we um, will look to where the risk is around certain areas so uh, if we cover badgers for example uh, quite horrific area of wildlife crime and um, there you know you've got the animal victim but also we have to look at the human victim with wildlife crime as well so people who witness this people whose land uh, this is on and that's really important for hair coursing so uh, when we have air coursing offences, we've got the animal victim, but we quite often have a number of human victims as well that suffer from it. Um, so the National Wildlife Crime Unit will look at really enhancing the service that the front line of policing uh, gives. So my role is to um, make sure that those priority delivery groups are uh, fit for the task ahead of them. So we work on a yearly basis. The priority delivery groups um, are chair-led, so they, they have a chair which is uh, usually from a police background and we will have a, a deputy or somebody to support the chair which we prefer from uh, from one of the partner agencies so we can bring the agencies to the policing response and also bring the police uh, to the, the people that um, those agencies represent and the CLA is a perfect example of that so we can really blend um, the understanding of what the issues are 
and um, our unit will look at profiling the demand. So what's the demographic? Uh, what's what's the crime type? How's it being how's it being committed? We'll look at where the intelligence sits nationally. Um, what we find with police forces, they're, uh, they're quite boundary centric. So we do like to work cross border and police do fantastic cross border work. But uh, wildlife crime as a whole is is actually quite low down in the wider policing picture. So again, we'll look to show where that fits into the wider policing picture. Um, you know, people who abuse animals, abuse people, um, people who carry out our hair coursing offences, we know are linked to other more serious crimes, whether that be theft, burglary, and uh, the emerging trend that we're seeing is uh, drugs trafficking, dealing, and vulnerability offences as well. So it's really important for us to show that by tackling wildlife crime effectively, we can also feed into the wider policing picture. Uh, I think one of the sad aspects is it's really hard to grip the scale of demand of wildlife crime because within UK government crime recording, um, it's not a notifiable or recordable crime uh, for, for most wildlife crimes. Therefore, there's no obligation on police forces to record it. So it's really hard for those forces to take the responsibility to give dedicated resourcing to it, albeit most forces do give a really, really good response. And that's reflected by the rural crime teams and wildlife crime teams that we see. Uh, but that's a project that we're working on to really get uh, wildlife crime identified as a serious issue because we believe and our unit believes this feeds into the wider policing picture, especially when we look at um, poaching, hair coursing and uh, the emerging trend of cyber-enabled wildlife crime. And does that make it more difficult to identify trends if, if some of these crimes aren't necessarily always reported? Does it does it make it difficult to get a really accurate picture of what's happening where? Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, you know, what we, what we would like to do is see police forces reporting crime figures to us and as a unit we can collate them. However, um, all is not lost in that respect. So we have some really good working relationships with some of our key partners, a lot of charities that um, look at specifics of Badger Trust, RSPCA, League Against Cruel Sports, uh, RSPB will all collate their specific crime types. And some forces are brilliant and they do it anyway, albeit there's no requirement on them. So we can get a, a, a overview, an overview of what is going on and what the picture is. Um, it would be much better if the responsibility was on policing to provide that because that would really help us um, provide a proportionate response to where the risk areas are uh, and, and to service that demand. But the assurances that I can give you is uh, looking backwards, as I said, I've got a lot of experience in this area. I've dedicated my whole service to it. We are streets ahead from where we were uh, and year upon year we're making progress with it. I'm very um, sure that some of the work that we're doing will make the, record of, uh, the recordability of wildlife crime uh, or certainly scaling the demand of wildlife crime uh, better for the future. And what's been the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on wildlife crime? Has it increased over periods of lockdown? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. Um, so as I said, uh, you know, it is on the increase uh, and that's predominantly across the board. Um, what I'm, I'm fairly confident, what I can say with a good degree of confidence is that some specific areas um, have dropped slightly. So we're seeing slightly less badger persecution, but we're seeing more disturbances. Uh, around badger set disturbances and that's largely because people are uh, staying within the UK so people are getting to areas where they wouldn't usually do within the downtime but then sadly off the back of it um, poaching, hair coursing, um, deer offences and rats persecution are, are up significantly and some up to 50% of an increase so that's a significant area of concern for us moving forward and how we're going to police that effectively um, and also how we're going to raise the profile of it because it's really important that the profile of wildlife crime sits within the wider policing arena. Uh, when we look at where else 
it affects that and who it affects. You know, the, it doesn't just affect the animals. There's a conservation aspect. There's an animal welfare aspect. But quite often, when we tab down into it, there's a human aspect to it as well. And that's certainly very true from uh, from the uh, instances of dog worrying, for, for example, that ha- has been on the increase over recent months. And not only there's a there's a loss to, to the animal and harm and distress to the animal, but there's also quite a bit of harm and distress to the farmer as well when that happens. Does dog worrying and those type of crimes fall within your line of work? Is that as in uh, dogs worrying livestock? Yeah, it attacks dogs attacking sheep, for yeah, example. Yeah, so uh, your classic sheep worrying offences, absolutely they are. And, you know, sadly they happen every year. And, and the, the sad truth of it is you, what you'll find is you find little pockets of awareness being raised. So they will happen and you'll see the most, um, most atrocious suffering um, that livestock suffer at the hand of somebody's, somebody's dog. And, it, you know, it could quite simply be, you know, one of your family pets who's never chased anything, but it just gets that moment of madness and off it goes. And it's totally inexcusable. Because if you don't have that confidence, and 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 I've and I've said this quite openly, is the, the solution is keep the dog on the lead, and we're, we're certainly not anti dog walker or you know anti you know anti countryside walking. That we're all for that, but actually we've got to think about who it impacts. You know the animals and ultimately um, the, the human victim at the end of it. And we're seeing you know this we're, we're in the midst of a beautiful British summer. So once this rain clears off, which it will in a couple of couple of weeks time, people will be back out. Uh, we come up to the school holidays. There'll be lots of people walking. Uh, my plea is, whilst it isn't a priority of the National Wildlife Crime Unit, it's something that I've dealt with quite a lot. Uh, and, and one of these offences has can have significant and catastrophic impacts on the, you know, on the animals and also on the human victims, on the farmers, livestock holders. Keep your dogs on your lead. Simple solution. Yeah, that's a sound piece of advice. Uh, what can farmers and, and landowners, however, do to try and prevent wildlife crime on their land? It, well, it's a, again, it's a really interesting one. I have these conversations uh, quite a lot because there's so many different types of wildlife crime, and especially if we look back over the different PDGs, so your badgers, you know, bats, uh, poaching, etc. Um, but I think the you know the, a lot of your listeners for wildlife crime will be really worried about your day poachers and night poachers, and specifically hair coursing, because it is its own own entity uh, within um, wildlife crime. And there's uh, discussions that we can have around de- designing out wildlife crime effectively. So there's been some really good work from police forces up and down the UK, Cambridgeshire in particular. Um, they construct what they call bums. So uh, effectively, they have construction companies that will come and they'll... Um, create a boundary around uh, open land so hair coursing predominantly takes takes uh, place on the flats when crops come down uh, make that land inaccessible uh, people can dig trenches they can use um, devices that would block open gateways where a tractor could get across but a car couldn't get across uh, and these are all real good innovative innovative products um, that are out there on the market there's so many different things so uh, see what's out there i think more importantly is my advice would always be to anybody who's worried if they're going to be a victim of wildlife crime, if they've had it before, they want to make themselves future fit and they want to get secure, is linking with your local cops, your local, your local PC, your local PCSO um, would love to come round and speak to you about preventing crime as opposed to coming round and speaking to you because you're a victim of crime. Uh, so, so my plea is reach out to those. Uh, you know, Cops want to hear of people who haven't been a victim just yet who want to prevent themselves they can signpost you to uh, what the new technologies are they'll tell you what the emerging trends are in your area so what you're likely to potentially be a victim of or what you can do to uh, look out for uh, what the issues are in your areas and just really look at your uh, vulnerabilities you know what can you do to make it harder for people to commit offenses and some of those can be quite simple and i'm sure when you pass on to andy he'll talk around your uh, machinery aspect and that goes for wildlife crime. 
um, you know, people leaving gates open and inviting people on, which ultimately would be an entry onto land and people in some areas, specifically in North Yorkshire from my home force, you know, they can drive for miles without coming back to roadside again. Uh, so they can commit offences with impunity, effectively. And that could be all because somebody's left a gate open or a doorway open or uh, not replaced a bund. So, uh, so you know, just be really, really careful. You might not see anybody. You might leave a clearing open for, you know, overnight or, uh, you know, the area may have been quiet and you might not have been a victim for a year. So don't get complacent. Keep on top of your security and definitely, definitely, definitely reach out to your local cops. And from a policing point of view, do you think some of the laws around wildlife crime could be strengthened to make your work more effective? Yeah, absolutely. There's 100% need for it. And, 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 and let's not try to... Um, to pacify or mitigate that the legislation that we work within uh, is anywhere near suitable. Um, and, you know, we do a really good job with what we've got. We can only work with the tools that we've got. But actually, in 2021, is it really proportionate to be prosecuting uh, with legislation that begins with 18, from the 1800s? I, I personally don't think it is. Um, what we're doing to remedy that is uh, raising that to, to government through DEFRA. Uh, there's also... A United Nations review. It's the United Nations Office on Drugs and Serious Crime. They're conducting a review of how the whole of policing UK deals with wildlife crime. And I've spent a significant amount of time with those over the last couple of weeks. And they're looking at um, everything from how business is on the front line, right up to where calls come into the control room, legislation, the court systems, partner agencies, alternative prosecutions. Uh, they're doing a full stop start review uh, and I think that'll be really good for us and, and, and no bad can come from this all the good can come from it because they will make a series of recommendations uh, which would be easier to implement as opposed to us as a, as a country as police forces as the government having an inside out review uh, you'd leave yourself there'd be a lot of research a lot of reviews uh, a lot of research to do a lot of opinions to take whereas if we have the experts look at us pick on the good practice uh, look at where we need to get better Legislation has been a key area. Uh, again, and I've, what, what I said to you at the beginning there is what I said to them. It's not acceptable for us to be policing with uh, legislation from the 1800s. We need to get modern. We need to get serious with this. You know, We need to protect the animals, reduce wildlife crime, and we also need to protect the human victims as well. Uh, so there will be a review. I'm hoping these changes will be recommended. It will be positive, and as a national unit, we'll do our best to implement them on the front line. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Kevin. We'll be back with you very shortly as well. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. For members, CLA Insurance are more than just a broker. 
We are trusted advisors, providing the highest level of service and value for money for farm, land and estate, home, motor as well as business, legal expenses and trustee indemnity insurance. Contact the CLA insurance team today on 01234 230295 or visit www.clainsurance.co.uk for a no obligation quotation. Superintendent Andy Huddleston, I want to come to you next because we've heard about cybercrime on the rise, wildlife crime on the rise. What's happening with machinery thefts? It's, it's still a significant issue. Um, despite lockdown, um, so seeing a decrease in some of the crimes, so from the figures we have from 2019, um, there was 12.4 million was the um, total of claims that the NFU Mutual paid out for, for agricultural machinery thefts alone. And, and 3.1 million of that was for ATVs, for quad bikes. So it's absolutely still a big issue. Um, we're waiting to see the figures from last year during lockdown, but it was, we know, one of the few crimes that booked the trends in terms of um, not going down as far as other crimes and that rural crimes such as this actually continue to um, to go um, go up in some areas, which was um, a little bit of a surprise to us. But um, there has been some good work done around the, the tackling of um, theft of agricultural machinery, so your quad bikes, tractors, trailers, things like that. Um, the, the forming of the agricultural and construction equipment team, that's a national team that looks at the intelligence that comes into and across the country that helps us target the right offenders. And that's certainly been a big part of what our work is being and continues to be around looking at the very much organized element of theft of this machinery. Um, because make no bones about it, it is not opportunistic. Um, these crimes are very well planned and there are things that I would even advocate. You've heard about the cybercrime earlier. These people are quite well sophisticated. They're using the likes of your Facebook, um, your Instagram profiles to see what your machines you've got, where you keep them, and it does assist them. And, and we know from some independent academic research that's been done that supports that these are well-organized criminals and they're part of organized crime groups. So there's very much that side of it. But the bit that I would also want to emphasize is that we're, the, these thefts are not just something we're going to police our way out of. We will not arrest our way out of these issues. Um, it's very much something that um, the farming industry, um, the manufacturers and the insurers all have a part to play in making sure that we do our bit um, to bring these number of crimes down. Because like I say, these um, criminals, they will target areas that are um, not as hostile to them. And, and being in rural communities, it's often less chance of getting caught, less CCTV, less people to see them. So they will go where the, the risk versus reward is in their favour. And that's something that very much is part of the work we're doing to very much change that. Do you think there's uh, more that manufacturers could do to try and make machinery more secure uh, and, and limit the risk of them being being stolen in the first place and possibly assisting you with the police in trying to get them recovered? Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, there are manufacturers and, that, and they vary greatly in what they do. Some of them are absolutely outstanding. They are using forensic marking on machines, which makes it um, much, much easier to recover and identify the roadside 
alongside the fitting digital um, mobilizers and trackers to their equipment as standard. And that is really good practice. But unfortunately, not all manufacturers like that. We've got some leading manufacturers who are still using technology that is over 30 years old. Um, some machines that you can buy, and these are machines that are £50,000 and up over in some cases, they all have the same key that fits every one of their machines across the whole of the UK because ultimately that is making it a lot harder for the police and farmers to keep the machinery safe but it's making it much much easier for thieves to take this equipment so um, it, it's really important that we're, we're, we're coming at this from many angles and the manufacturers is just one of them but certainly it's one that for the last two years we've been trying to um, influence I think the concern I would raise is that it's taken two years of discussions and we're still at the point where, unfortunately, in the inconvenient truth of this, and I'm not saying manufacturers um, build their um, margins into this, but every theft of an agriculture machinery on the whole tends to result in the purchase of another machine because a farming community, we're often very loyal and we stick with the brand that we've known and used for years. And often this is equipment that does a very good job. That's also why it makes it attractive to thieves. So there is something that we need to look at, the real drivers behind why we can't get manufacturers to change or some manufacturers to change and um, and also what the um, the buyer, the farmers, um, their vested interest in, in trying to put the pressure on to make them do that. And, and let's take a, a quad bike as an example or a trailer or, or a piece of equipment. Should that be stolen off a farm? What happens then? What are the criminals doing with these pieces of equipment? Because you'd have thought it'd be quite difficult to sell them if they're recorded as a stolen item. Again, you say that, and it's one of where so many bikes, um, views ATVs, quad bikes, um, in one year there's over 1,100 quad bikes are stolen. And um, if you look at the sat-nav, some tops of tractors that have been stolen, um, we're into the hundreds that were, have been taken. Now, you've got to ask yourself, well, who can use a John Deere sat-nav Starfire system? Not many people really can in the, grass, in the grand scheme of things. So there's definitely a question we're raising with the industry in terms of we know that some of these stolen items are being bought by UK farmers as well. So there is an element. Um, if you are being offered a deal that is too good to be true, then the chances are that's probably the case, which brings us back to having good marking so we can identify it and, and look at it and seize it at the roadside things to stop them being taken in the first place, um, and even just basic principles of taking keys out. So there's there's lots of basic principles there, but ultimately um, it's something where we all have a part to play in making our farms more secure so that it doesn't happen in the first place. Uh, and what's the position being taken by insurance companies? Are they rewarding farmers who are proactive with their on-farm security by lowering premiums if they're doing some of the works that you've explained there with marking, exam uh, for example? It's difficult for me to comment terms of premiums where farmers leave keys in machines and insurers pay out and i'm particularly talking when they leave them overnight in a fifty thousand pound machine or up over if that was your car on the street your insurer is highly unlikely that they're going to pay out for you so we're in this uh, very difficult position of um on the whole a lot of the machines that we have stolen the keys are left in or they have such poor security they're easy to steal um, we have an insurance company that will pay out and we have manufacturers with poor security so we have a bit of a circle going on here in terms of trying to break that away from something where um, farmers don't leave keys in insurers don't pay out 
um, when keys are left in, and manufacturers encouraged to fit modern security. We're even in the in the quite bizarre position of where one manufacturer said that we will not change our security on our machines until the insurance companies change their stance. So I do think absolutely they've got a part to play in it. Um, and I think, again, it's just that concern I have, the, um, the delay and the time it's taking to try and change from something which ultimately um, I appreciate there are commercial and business um, influences that have got us and continue to have us in this position. And what about some practical, simple steps that farmers can take on their farms to try and protect themselves? You know, we're seeing increasingly, um, I know of several farmers who've installed CCTV recently, um, which almost is a bit sad to to admit that we live in a society where we we need CCTV on farms, but it it is a defence, it is a protection. Are there other practical, simple measures that the people can do? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what, some of the basic things are the most effective so we've already touched upon don't leave your keys in you'd be amazed the number of farms i go on to and still find keys in in machines um but things like security lights we know again from the research that's been done that um, security lights the um, criminals don't like that and loud alarms they don't like that either they don't like attention being brought to themselves and it's very much about making an area as hostile as possible to criminals so yeah cctv is an advantage but it's certainly not the be all and end all and what i would say is probably one of the most effective things that i've seen in my policing career around rural um savers of security around rural um, watch is that where farmers and um, gamekeepers, the rural community, form part of a farm watch scheme or a rural watch scheme, and they share information intelligence between them about different things that are happening and moving around. Um, we found that criminals really do not like that because very quickly when they're spotted in an area, it suddenly becomes passed around very quickly and it became, becomes somewhere where they actually don't want to be. And lastly, um, you've heard in the past about um, shutting the gate. Um, absolutely. We found, again, that where people are using electric gates to shut the farm down on a night to close the gates off, or even just having somewhere where the equipment is behind something that's secure, um, criminals don't like that added um, risk of being caught somewhere they shouldn't be. So, so some basic things there, you'd be surprised that a lot of people don't do but our um, significant step forward to making um, your farm safer. Absolutely. And it's something that uh, all our listeners, no, no doubt, will be, will be taking on board, if not not doing that already. Uh, Libby, if I can come back to you. We know we had a chat right at the beginning of the podcast around the key issues, and we've delved into all three of those areas in, in quite some depth with, with our guests. But from the CLA's perspective, what are you doing as an organisation now to, to try and tackle rural crime? The CLA, essentially, we're looking in two different directions. Um, you know, we're working with uh, Kevin, uh, Rebecca and Andy, who, you know, giving a really good overview of the strategic work that's going on in the background. But we're also um, encouraging our members to be more resilient against against these kind of crimes. So it might be, as I think it's already been said, about making sure you've got contact with your local police force and uh, and, and encouraging visits to the farm. It, you know, people can't don't know who their police force is. They can get in touch with us and we can we can sort that out for them. But we're also looking in the other direction towards the policing because there are some some issues. And and if somebody becomes a victim of crime, um, then then they want to know where that support network is to help them at that point. So um, we've got a rural crime action plan in place. We're encouraging police forces who we work very closely with across the country. We're encouraging them to make sure that they've got a properly equipped rural police force. Um, And also that We'd like to see uh, rural training for all recruits because rural crime is, is a very different 
type of crime from what they see in urban areas and it, and it needs a different skill set and a different way way of tackling it and also you know different knowledge of, of the legislation that can be used um and we also want to see um you know rural crime strategies in place across forces most of them have done this um as you know we've got some new police and crime commissioners just come in um there is an ongoing problem with call handling. A lot of the time when a crime has happened, so you've been burgled, so it's not a crime in progress, but you've been burgled, you want to um, ring 101. And there are some problems with the, the 101 answering, answering the call in, in time, but also responding to it as well. So we're asking police and crime commissioners to make sure that their call handlers have got rural training. So if somebody rings up and says, there are hair courses that the people who are handling that call know exactly what that means and understands what that threat is, not just to the wildlife, but to the individuals that, that own the land as well. Um, we're also looking at legislative changes. Um, I'll go back to hair coursing again, I'm afraid. Um, but as, um, as Kevin said before, the, the police force on the front line there are very much relying on very, very old legislation. So we're pushing forward some amendments to that legislation, but also trying to get some new um, legislation into the um, police crime courts and sentencing bill, which is going through Parliament at the moment. And the final thing that we're doing is is we've got um, a campaign on the countryside code. I think you mentioned before about sheep worrying, and that's just um, in, in, we're going to see fewer people taking foreign holidays, so we're expecting in the summer to see more people in the countryside. And we'd like to make sure that their visit goes smoothly and that they enjoy their visit and that, that the farmers and landowners um, welcome them into the countryside. And that, that does involve, you know, keeping dogs under control, making sure that litter's not left and, and also things like, like wildfires, like barbecues and, and, and campfires as well. You know, if, if somebody's involved with a dog attack, that, that ruins everybody's day. It's not just the farmer you know, whose who sheep are attacked, but, you know, the owner, it's a very stressful situation for everybody. So we're trying to make sure that we, we've got visitors um, to, to reduce that potential conflict when people come into the countryside. And, and as a final question to, to all our guests, uh, starting with you, Libby, if, if I may, how can landowners and rural businesses better protect themselves against criminal activity? I know we've mentioned a lot of really, really valuable and simple basic pieces of advice d- during the course of the past 45 minutes or so. But in trying to wrap it up, in trying to summarise some key points from all our guests, starting with you, Libby, what would be your advice to our listeners? Got a few bullet points. Uh, firstly, uh, join your local farm watch group or rural watch group if you haven't got one get in touch with the police force or the cla and we'll do that for you and help you set that up uh, contact your local pcso ask for a farm visit ask for them to come along and make recommendations about how your security should be better if there are incidents even if it's just suspicious behavior record it write it down and then report it on 101 okay um if you, they may not get back to you but that piece of intelligence may be something that's key to bringing a prosecution forwards um, we've got information for members on target hardening advice. And also we've got an um, article going in the magazine next month, which is going to be about cybercrime. And that will have details of your local um, cyber resilience centres in there. So to so take a look and uh, and make sure that you're, you're up to date with your, your cybersecurity. Well, thank you very much, Libby. Uh, now I want to go to Rebecca. Over to you. What's your advice? So I think it, w- it would be sort of follow the top 10 uh, tips for cybersecurity. So use three random words for your passwords and the space bar is your friend. So that would negate the need to use letters and, and symbols. 
Um, always have good antivirus software. Back up your data to make sure it is somewhere else other than uh, the place that you are. Um, train your staff accordingly on what the issues are. Train them not to click on phishing emails, etc. And, you know, the really annoying things that pop up on your screen telling you to do your updates, uh, always do them because what they are designed for is to patch the holes in software so that hackers can't get in. Also to plan for attack uh, and recovery and check your own supply chain for security. So don't just ensure that you're secure, but that everybody that supplies you is secure. And then finally, really have a, a list of all the assets that you own and risk manage securing your data on all of those assets. And finally, I would say, like Libby says, you know, find out where your local uh, cyber resilience center is um, and go and have a look at all the advice on there. Brilliant. Thank you, Rebecca. There's a lot of advice and support out there. Uh, Andy, over to you and then Kevin to finish. Um, I think what Libby said was absolutely excellent. Um, I fully support and can do what she said around being part of the, the local farm watch, rural watch groups. That is, uh, for me, a really, really big big point um the one specific to, to certainly to my field would be look if um if you've been offered something for sale make sure it's um you check it out do those um diligent checks to see if it's got season marking and make sure it is what it says it need, it is because that is indeed something that is fueling the market and the problem that we've got and um and lastly we just i would want um, the industry to ask more of the manufacturers who are providing these machinery to say look it's just not good enough that security that's provided on their leisure vehicles stop them being stolen but then when it comes to a commercial farm vehicle the same company doesn't fit the technology that they've got within their own within their own company so um yeah that would be the message from me and the request to uh, to help us change the, from where we are at the moment thank you andy and over to you kevin to finish thank you Alan. Uh, we'll keep this one simple then so from me i'm asking you to really look at where your vulnerabilities are on a wildlife crime point point of view so know your land know what's on there uh hares badgers birds and people protect these animals so linking with your local groups linking with your local community and as has been said so many times linking with your local cops uh, the last couple of things i'll say is Think like a bad guy. Think like the bad guys do. How will they get on? Where will they get on? How can they be unseen? How can they be unheard? And what are they going to come after? Uh, and, and the last bit of advice that I'll give you is carry a pen and a pad, please, because we get lots of pieces of information uh, where you experience this crime in action or this emotional event because you've seen something get killed or you've been uh, approached by people that aren't too nice, maybe threaten you. And when you're in those situations, it's really, really hard to remember descriptions of people, what's been said, number plates of vehicles, uh, carry a pen and a pad, pen and paper. If you get to know your local cops, most of them will issue you and through the rural crime uh, network and uh, get that information written down because Reg numbers, descriptions, what's being said could be key in investigations. Absolutely. Information is key, isn't it? Whether you're trying to protect that information, whether it's sharing information with the police or whether it's making sure that you, you, you're asking the right questions if somebody's trying to sell you something and it's a bit suspicious. Information is absolutely key. Well, thank you ever so much to Libby, Andy, Kevin and Rebecca for joining us on this special rural crime episode of the CLA podcast. I've really enjoyed your company and I'm sure our listeners have taken a lot on board during the past 40 five minutes or so so thank you each and every one of you thank you very much indeed if you're not a member of the cla you can join today more information can be found on our website www.cla.org.uk thank you for listening and i hope you can join us again soon
You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast, the CLA's weekly podcast released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 